Thank you so much, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Henry. What a tremendous, tremendous honor it is to stand here in this pulpit and be with you in this church. And I want to say again to Brother Henry what I said to him in a letter some time ago, just after I got the email from him about coming and being here for this conference. I sent back a letter and told him immediately how honored I was to have such an invitation. It was a tremendous honor. I didn't see it coming, you know, from the clear blue nowhere came this email from your pastor, and he said, I want you to be here for this conference. And he told me what he wanted me to do while I was here, not to present a specific field and not to present ourselves as such or a specific field, even though our hearts are still very much in France, and yet to try to just help the church move forward in what you're doing already. You're already doing it, but we all need help in moving forward in what we're doing from time to time in the things of Christ and in missions and in the the things that involve missions, everything involved in it. So for me, it was a tremendous honor, and I'm delighted and tickled to death to be here. And uh, already it's been a great start. We've just got our first evening partway through, and I just uh, can't say how much I thank God and uh, appreciate so much all that he has done to allow us to be here. I do... I said at us because it's a reflex. Uh, you have to understand, my wife and I, when we left for France, I arrived in France, we arrived in France with our oldest daughter that was three years old, our oldest son was 18 months old, another son was born there, another daughter was born there. But I was 24 years old at the time when I stepped off the plane to begin the ministry there in France, 24. And uh, my wife beside me, she held on to Teresa, and I carried Jeff, and off we went to begin our life in France. And we're there for 37 years, but yet I didn't realize, as far as I was concerned, we were going to stay there till they buried us there. I had plans to be buried there in France. I didn't expect to leave it except to come home on visits. But I didn't know the phone call would come one day from our youngest daughter that was back in the States and going to Crown College. And she went by to see my mother. My dad had been dead for years. My only sister had been dead for years. And she went by to see my mother down in Georgia, just a little bit south of Atlanta, in the southern suburb to Atlanta. And she called me immediately and said, Dad, uh, you got to do something about Granny. She's got Alzheimer's. And that was the first time that word had ever entered our family. It was with my mother. My mother is 98 now. She's 98. And uh, still going along at her own little speed, but the mind is like Alzheimer's does. It's the same face. In the same voice, but everything behind that is different from what I ever knew. I came home to see for myself, and I found my mother that used to be so neat and clean and orderly. I found her in a house that looked like a trash dump, just a total trash. And she had, was totally unkempt and unclean and hadn't taken a bath in weeks and just a disaster zone. And I went to talk to our mission, and I went to talk to James Ray in our mission, for those that know him. I said, I'm going to have to resign the mission and take care of my mom. What convinced me of that, by the way, as I fought this thing, what am I going to do? Uh, I mean, if I was to take my mom and put her in an assisted living home, I guarantee you she'd fight you all the way down the sidewalk. You'd have to be by force, even still today. But uh, as I talked to Brother Ray, he says, well, don't do anything until I look into this and see what we can do. And he says, uh, he came back later. After talking to some of the other men, he says, what I want you to do, if you'll accept to do this, he says, now, take your 37 years there in France and pour it back into churches and missions conferences and Christian schools and, and uh, special meetings and just take those years and stay with us, stay with us if you can. He says, if you can keep yourself up. I knew what he meant by that. They didn't have a salary to pay, but he says, if you can keep yourself up 
Would you stay busy in conferences and churches and schools? And I've taught everything from kindergarten through seminary. Had a lot more fun with the kindergartners than I did. <laughs> They're a lot more fun, I guarantee you that. But God is blessed so much because I don't go out and try to uh, work my way through a door anywhere to get into a meeting. They have to come to me. I have to get a phone call or an email or a personal invitation from someone I'm talking to, but the Lord has done that and kept us busy and kept us on the road. But my wife is with my mother right now. She doesn't travel well. You can imagine at 98, she has other health problems. So my mom doesn't travel well. Uh, You try to travel, and she wants to fight most of the way and fights on everything. It's just a struggle. It's a huge struggle, and uh, she just doesn't travel well overnight trips. We can go to church with her, but only if you just come home right afterwards, you know, that sort of thing. So I apologize for Margie. I married a little lady I met years ago down in Chattanooga at Bible College. They came down out of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, and I'd come up out of Georgia. We met there in Chattanooga at Bible College. It was in October of 1963. I just barely, one month before, I turned 18. I was 18 years old in a month. I just turned 18 one month before. And in October of 1963, I looked for a group of kids on the corner of uh, the Bible College campus there going to an activity. And somehow in that crowd of a dozen or 15 kids, there was one round, smiling face in that crowd, in that crowd that stood out. And I nudged a buddy of mine and said, well, what's her name over there? <laughs> you know how that goes. And he said, oh, that's Margie. You don't want to fool with her. She's an upperclassman. I was just a freshman. Well, you know, I was too dumb to realize you weren't supposed to do that. (laughs) So that was in October of 1963. And from that very night, I've never sat with another girl, never dated another girl, never held hands with another girl. There's never been another girl but Margie. And in August of 1965, God joined us together in marriage, and we've spent all these years on the mission field by the grace of God and by the goodness of a good woman. Now, thank God and for him and his grace, and I want to honor that dear precious lady that couldn't be with us tonight that's home taking care of mom so I can be here. But now the hour is getting by, and I could say so much, talking about going back in years. In 1985, I came back from the field briefly. I say briefly for two or three months. Came back for almost three months. And my sister there in Indiana, about 35 miles south of Indianapolis, uh, my only sister, it was just her and me in the family, was dying of cancer. And uh, my mother had come back to take care of my sister and been taking care of her for three or four months, but she was getting close to the end. And so I came back to help mom take care of my sister, Michelle, and uh, had her bed set in the front room of her house, and we were taking care of her night and day there in the home. And... uh, I might say, too, that the first time in my life I ever heard my sister pray, she was paralyzed from the chest down. She could move her arms and her head, and that was all. Everything else was paralyzed, thanks to a tumor on her spine. But uh, she could move her arms, and for the first time in my life I ever heard my sister pray. When I talked to her about the Lord Jesus again that night, it wasn't the first time, but she put that skeletal bony hand over in mine and prayed the old sinner's prayer and asked Jesus to come in her heart and save her about a month, about four or five weeks before she passed into the presence of the Lord. But during that time down in Edinburgh, Indiana, I didn't know a church to go to. When I first got there, the first Sunday that came along, I said, I got to find a church for Sunday and for Wednesday. Mom would stay with my sister. 
And I looked around trying to find a church, and I came across one called the New Life Baptist Church, right on the highway up in Franklin. And that's where I got to know the Henry family. Frank Goodwin was a pastor then, Brother Rick and Judy, and their family was there at that time, and that was in 1985. I asked your pastor a while ago, when I got to know him and his family at that time, how old were you in 1985? He calculated very quickly and said 11, <laughs> 11 years old at that time. So our memory of that precious family goes back a good ways, and we thank God so much for it. And that made it even more of an honor to get the call or the email from your pastor to be here with you tonight. Now, time will get by on us, so the introduction is there. I'm not going to try to go farther than that, other than the fact that I do have a stand out here with material on it, but I'm not trying to just promote one field. You'll find a lot of magazines and brochures on this stand, and they are all free. So please do uh, avail yourself of those magazines and brochures that shows what's going on in missions around the world. And as you see the articles written by our missionaries, I have a feeling you'll see some familiar faces as you support so many missionaries around the world. Uh, these magazines and brochures are for you. Please help yourself. And we'll talk about that another time, perhaps. But as we talk about the conference here right now and try to get into what we're doing tonight, let me try to get into it quickly because we're talking about a faith promise plan for missions giving. This is a faith promise missions conference. The faith promise plan for missions giving is a plan that I believe in wholeheartedly with all my heart. Most of us would like to do more for missions, but how do we go about doing more for missions? You're doing so much already. This is a, a mission-minded church. There's no doubt about that. We've known that for, for a long while. And even back in the days before uh, I even heard anything personal from your pastor, his mom and dad would tell me about Forstoria. His mom and dad are proud. You talk about parents that are proud. They're so proud of what God is doing through their son here in this place, and rightfully so. But I can remember stopping years ago on my way back home. It was getting close to church time, and any time I'm on the road and traveling and it's getting close to church time, I tried to find a place to stop, and I saw a sign north of Dalton, Georgia, that said, such and such a missionary Baptist church. I said, well, that sounds good to me. <laughs> I like the title. You know, it gave the name of the church, such and such a missionary Baptist church. So I stopped, and it's close to time, so I pulled in and went to church there that evening. It was a, a nighttime service. And they said, we have a visitor here. Who are you, sir? Would you tell us, tell us who you are? And I stood up and said who I was, a, a missionary to France. And when I did, I saw the pastor lower his head. I saw other men lower their heads. And after the service, I wondered what happened. And after the service, the pastor and some of the men came up to me. And they said, you're really a missionary in France, right? And we talked about that for a while. And I said, well, I, I stopped because I'm on my way home. And I couldn't help but enjoy that sign of yours out there. Missionary Baptist Church. I love that. I love anything to do with missions. And they hung their heads even harder. And they said, well, you know, the, the sad thing is we've got that sign out there, but we don't give one penny to missions anywhere. We're not against it. We've just gotten away from it. We've gotten busy with this and that and the other thing. And, and uh, we, we don't give one penny a month or a year. Not one penny out of that church ever went to missions, even though they called themselves, it was the name of their local area, such and such a missionary Baptist church. And one of the men said, well, you know what we need to do? We need to either go out there and tear that sign down that's making hypocrites out of all of us, or we need to start giving the missions. <laughs> I said, I think that's the better choice. <laughs> it's the better choice. 
You can get into missions anytime you want, and we talked about it, how they could get into missions. How can we have a church that calls, the, calls itself a Bible-believing church and not be involved in missions? The Faith Promise Plan is a very good and a simple plan and a way of being involved in missions where it works. The Faith Promise Plan is scriptural, it's practical, it's effective, it'll do the job, it'll get the work done. But what I find is this, is through the years I found that from time to time there's people in a church, not necessarily the whole church, but from time to time you'll find a certain number of people that are involved in it. Some people are just jumped in with both feet and hugely involved in it, others a little bit, and others not at all, not at all, in, in the one and same church. And I find that usually if somebody is in a church that is involved in the faith promise plan for missions giving, and if they're not doing it, if they're not doing it, they've not gotten in, something along the way in that idea, that thought, has scared them off. It's just my feeling. That's the way I've seen it as I've known people through the years in this situation. There's something about the faith promise plan that has scared them away. If they weren't scared of it in some way, they would have jumped in there and been a part of it like other folks. So what I'd like to talk to you this evening about is how to take the fear out of the faith promise plan. So let's look at those three words, the faith promise plan. I'd like to start with the word plan. To start with the word plan, the faith promise plan. I don't believe it's the word plan that scares us. I don't believe it is. Over in 1 Corinthians 14.33, and we won't be turning a lot, a lot tonight, but turn over there, if you will, to get started. In 1 Corinthians 14.33, I don't believe it's the word plan that scares us away from the faith promise plan of missions giving. Because as good, red-blooded, all-American Baptists, we believe in having a plan. We like plans. We are basically an orderly people. I know some of you ladies say that we ought to look at your husband's workshop, and we might not believe that anymore, but that's not always the case. He might have a plan that you can't recognize. There's order there that you can't recognize. I'm sure there is. <laughs> but uh, what we're talking about is simply the fact that the word plan doesn't usually scare most of us off. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, he's talking about God here, and he says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. God is a God of order and of peace, just like we see in the churches of the saints is what he's talking about there. And also in chapter 14, verse 40, the very last verse of the chapter, he says, let all things be done decently and in order. I really don't believe that that's what scares people away from the faith promise plan. God has always had a plan. He is a God of order. He is a God that always has a plan. He's a God that does things in a certain way because he knows that's the best way and he's going to do it that way. When God put man in the Garden of Eden years ago, he had a plan. And when he had to chase man from that garden, he still had a plan. When God sent Abraham up on top of the mountain with his son Isaac and a load of wood and a knife in his belt, it's because God had a plan. And when he sent Joseph down into Egypt to be the forerunner of not only his family, but of all of his people. It's because God had a plan. And thank God that years ago when there was a baby born in Bethlehem, it's because God had a plan. 
God always has a plan. There's nothing wrong with having a plan. There's nothing wrong with that word plan. We like to have a plan to get things done. And most of the men in here, if I were to talk to you, you have a plan that might not be written, but in your head when you've got a job to do, whether you're in construction, and some of you guys are builders. I've already talked to some of you and listened to some of the things you've had to say. Some of you guys are builders. Some of you work on motors. Some of you do other things, but you've got to have a plan to get the job done and get it done right. Building a house, you start with a plan. And if somebody is building a house for you, you very much want them to have a plan and a good plan. And if you put your car in the shop and your car has to be worked on, there's a problem with the motor, you don't want the garage guy, uh, the mechanic, to open up the hood, stand there and look at your motor and say, well, we're going to have to open that thing up and see what we find, see what we do next. You don't want him to do that. You want him to say, well, here's your problem. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. And certainly, if you've been having heart problems, and you're in the hospital, and you're laying there on that gurney, and the surgeon comes in and says, well, we're going to have to open that thing up and see what we find. <laughs> you don't want him to wait till he gets there and opens it up to see what he's going to do next. You want that surgeon to have a plan in the most finite details possible. No, it's not the word plan that bothers us. Faith promises a plan, and it's a good one. It's orderly, it's organized, it's objective. Like I said, it'll get the job done. The word plan is not what usually scares us off. Well, let's go back to that first word, the word faith. I believe the word faith is all right, too. I don't think that scares us away. Faith. We're talking about Bible-believing men and women and young people that believe in faith. You believe in it. That's why you're here. That's how you got, got into the family of God, is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Bible teaching shows us that we should have faith in God. I'm not going to take time to turn to all these passages for the sake of time tonight. But you know the Bible, if I were to take time and, and have people speak up across the auditorium this evening and say, give me one of your favorite verses on faith. And we would have verse after verse after verse quoted by verses that you know that speak of faith. Like the Bible says in Romans 14, 23, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And we believe that. We know that. We don't have a problem with that. We understand it. And we want to live by that. And again, over in Hebrews 11, verse 6, he says, But without faith, it is impossible to, to please God. Faith is not something that scares us away. We don't necessarily have the faith we want and the faith we need. We don't have the faith we would like to think that we're going to have as time goes by. We'd like to think we're going to have more faith tomorrow than we had today. But faith is not what scares us away. We expect our pastor to have faith. We expect the church staff to have faith. We have a lot of people in our lives that we expect to have faith because that's their job. They should be doing things in their job, in their work, in their ministry by faith in God. And we believe that. But we don't always have as much as we want for ourselves or should have for ourselves. It doesn't scare us away. We just know that we have a need there sometimes to have more of it for ourselves. But it doesn't scare us away. It doesn't scare you away any more than a rubber snake it wouldn't scare you away. Oh, you might not like the looks of a rubber snake, and you might not like uh, to pick up the tail of a dead real snake, but you wouldn't be scared of it if it's a dead real snake. <laughs> because some things in life, you might know that they're there, but they won't necessarily scare you away. So I don't think the problem is the word faith. So what does that leave us? The faith, promise, plan. And there's that word, promise. 
That's the word that I've found for many people as I've talked to them through the years that has bothered some people and held them back from jumping into the faith promise plan. And it was all a misconception, a misunderstanding of what that word promise means. Uh, Notice briefly Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23 in the verses 21 to 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23. And verses 21 to 23. And I'll give you time to find your place. We won't be turning to many passages, but this one I would would like you to see. This is a, a verse and a passage that has caused me to be extremely careful of any promise I made and things I would vow to do because this and other passages spoke so very highly of the importance of always keeping your promise. This was something that was hammered into me when I was young and had just found Christ as Savior. So this is uh, there in Deuteronomy 23 and the verses 21 to 23. He says this, When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and would be sin in thee. It would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform, even a freewill offering, according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. Now that scared me away from doing a lot of things in my earlier days, because it's still strikes fear in my heart that I would promise God something, anything. I don't care how big or small it might seem to somebody. If I vow a vow, if I promise God I'll do something, it it brings fear to my heart to think that I would go back on that promise. And I know a lot of people feel the same way. I've had to learn, though, about the faith promise plan of missions giving, where the word promise really fits in. It doesn't fit in just like you might think here in that passage of Deuteronomy. He gives us the same thing over in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. The same thing about being sure to keep a promise if you make one. So we're sometimes afraid to make a promise. If I promise to give uh, whatever figure the Lord puts on your heart, suppose you say, well, if I promise to give $10 a week, uh, I might fail sometimes and not feel really bad. If I promise to give 10 a week and, and I don't do it, then I'm going to fee, feel really just so bad awful that I, I, I wished I'd never made the promise to start with. Well, here's what I hope to help you to see tonight. It's not a promise to put in a certain number of dollars a week. The promise is not that you know, God put on my heart $10 a week, so I promise to put in $10 every week for faith promise. That is not what the word promise means in this matter of faith promise giving. Here's where the promise is, and I'll try to illustrate this if I can, because just stop and think about, here's God in heaven, and here you are right here. And there are the missionaries over there around the world. God is there. It's kind of like a triangle. It comes from him down to us. We say, Heavenly Father, I want to do something in missions. I want to work through our church in missions. I want to have my part in this. I want to do something. Show me what you want me to do, because I want to help those missionaries. I want you to put a figure on my heart. Now, where the word promise comes into that is simply this. What you're saying is, suppose, again, that God told you that I want you to put in $10 a week. Now, I have friends that I know of that put in two or 300 a week because they have the means to do it. They have the faith to do it for whatever reason. But let's just take a figure that is within reach of almost anybody here. And uh, $10 a week, let's say. 
The promise is simply this. is Heavenly Father, it's up to you to tell me. It's not up to me to decide. It's not up to me to look at my budget. It's not up to me to look at my wallet to see how much I can put in every week. It's up to you to put in my heart the figure that you want me to put down on that card every week. As I put that card in and turn it in, how much am I going to give week by week through the course of the year and the faith promise plan of this church's missions giving? It's up to you to set that figure. It's up to you to put that figure on my heart. My promise is this. Not that I will put that $10 every week into the offering, but my promise is simply this, that I will put it in every time you give it to me. If the week comes when you don't give it to me, then I don't have any obligation to put it in because you didn't give it to me. It wasn't there. I promise that if you give me that $10, I promise not to divert it to something else. It won't be diverted to a hamburger joint. It won't be diverted to a ball game. It won't be diverted to new clothes. If you give me that $10 every week, I promise to put it where you told me. It's as simple as that. That's the promise. The promise is not that I promise to put in $10 a week. The promise is that, Father, the figure you put on my heart, whatever that figure is, I promise to do with it what you told me to do with it, and that is to send it off to the missionaries through our church. So you see, if God does not give that to you one week, there's a week that comes along and it's just not there. You have no obligation. You've not broken a promise. As long as God gives you that $10, you've just simply said, Father, I promise if you give it to me, I won't divert it to something else. I won't use it for something else. I won't uh, take it for this reason and use it for some other reason. I will do with it what you told me to do. It's as simple as that. That's the promise that, Father, I will be faithful in doing with that $10 a week whatever you told me to do with it. And that is to put it in, whatever figure he puts on your heart. Now, the, the promise is there only between you and the Lord that I promise to do with that $10 a week what you told me to do with it, and that's to pass it on. Not to keep it for myself, not to use it in some personal way. I promise to pass it on just like you told me to do. And if that week comes and it's just not there, you have not broken a promise, you've not uh, broken your trust before God, you're under no obligations, and you'll wait until God gives you that $10 the next time. That's as simple as that. That's where the word promise comes in. And you know what I believe? I believe that God will give you that $10. I believe he'll do it. I uh, did a missions conference for a church in Bristol, uh, a large church in Bristol, Virginia. And uh, the associate pastor is a big hunk of a guy, just a great big muscular fellow. I love to, I go anywhere with that guy and not feel uh, afraid, you know. Uh, he, he can take care of himself. He's a great, great, a giant bear of a man, but just as soft and gentle as can be. But uh, I did a missions conference in his church for his pastor, him and the pastor. And uh, the Lord really blessed. And the very first time they took up cards, the very first time that they took up cards, they had per week over $1,400 extra above anything they'd ever had before come in and faith promised the first time they took up cards, over $1,400 a week. And I told the pastor, I said, well, Brother Dewey, I said, uh, with that much, I'd say I'd keep a little buffer zone aside. I'd keep a little bit aside for missions projects. But say out of the 1400 and something, that was just in one time. They were going to continue to give out the cards for a week or two, another couple of weeks, because of the people that were always there for every service, so everybody could get in on it. I said, but if you got 1400 and something in that very first uh, reception of those cards, that means you can take on 
a dozen new missionaries at $100 apiece. That's a, a dozen brand new ones and keep the others for missions projects. When a missionary needs tires on his car or has his roof blown off his house or something comes up, you can use that to meet a need right away. And so that's a dozen missionaries right now, right away, at $100 apiece. Well, you know, the pastor is the pastor. I'm not, and I certainly can't give orders. And he looked at me kind of grin. And he says, well, Brother Abbott, you know, around here we don't do hundreds. We only do fifties. <laughs> I said, well, all right, Brother Dewey, in that case, you got enough money to take on 24 new missionaries at $50 apiece and still have that much left over. And uh, I went by the church about three or four months later, about four months later, and was talking with that associate pastor. And I said, uh, Brother Tim, how's things been going? Has the, we were talking about other things. I was there for something else. But I said, how's it been going for the church since we took up the faith promise and, and things were moving in a great way? And he said, they've been going great. He says, as a matter of fact, they keep coming in and keep coming in. This church has never in its history of the church had as much for missions as we have right now to give toward missions. And he says, I'll tell you something else. And he was so happy. He was just beaming. He was busting the buttons off his shirt. He says, I'll tell you what. He says, you know, my wife and I, we put in our, our card together, our promise together. And I, I advise men and women to do it separately if they both have jobs. If he has a, has a job and she has a job, let them do it separately, each one on their own. But in this case, that was not the case, so they did it together. He says, you know, my wife and I, we put in a figure that we figured was going to be really tough to handle. But, you know, after a month or five or six weeks, you know, we, we put in what we thought was a really big amount, and we can't tell the difference. We can't tell the difference in anything. In the bills, in our way of living, in buying groceries or anything else, we can't tell the difference. We've been putting in more than we've ever put in in our lives. He says, you know what we did? We, said, we sat down and looked at it. And we said, well, we're not going to wait until next year and, uh, and then maybe increase a little bit next year. We just sat down and talked about it, how God was blessing. We were putting in more than we'd ever put in and can't tell the difference in the way we live. So we just decided right then, right away, to double what we'd put in that first time. And he says, you know what? That's been over a month, and we still can't tell the difference. <laughs> he says, it's been over a month, and we still can't tell the difference. Why? Because God loves people that say, Father, what did he tell us in Malachi? To put me to the test. See if I won't open the windows of heaven for you. And pour down showers of blessings, like we sing sometimes upon you. He loves to be put to the test. I think it was Spurgeon one time said that our ability to trust God for big things shows us how big we think God really is. And the more we treat God as a little God, the more it dishonors Him. I want you to think about this, if you will. And one thing I like about the faith promise is I come in a moment, in a few just brief moments to a close, but young people, for you young people and the, the children and young people here, you've got money in your pockets. You don't have to feel like you have to put in a 10 or a 20 or more a week. If you put in a dollar a week or a couple dollars a week, you would be amazed at what that can do. I sat down with a piece of paper and I tried to calculate what just 50 people, now there's far more than 50 people available in this church to do something like this. But stop and think about this. I just picked it up on 50, but listen to what 50 people would do at these figures. If four people out of 50 were to give $30, and that's the highest figure I put down, and I know many people, I know a number of people give far more than that. But anyway, if four people gave 30 if four people gave 25, if 10 people gave 20, if 12 people gave 10, if 12 more people gave five a week, if four people gave two dollars, 
If four more people gave one dollar, now that's 50 people. And if you would take those figures and add it up, that comes out to $612 a week. A week, not a month, because per month that comes out to $2,448 extra. Extra in the missions. Out of 50 people where nobody, only four of them, nobody gave more than 30 a week. And that came out to $2,448 a month, which is 29376 a year. You see, little things add up. And we forget sometimes how little things add up. That's why a dollar here and two dollars there and five dollars someplace else and a ten here, they add up to produce wonderful results for the cause of missions around the world. Little things do add up. I carried with me from the house this little piece of plastic. This little piece of plastic is very simple. You can't tell what it is from where you're sitting, but what this is is simply the button off of an aerosol can. Simply the button off of an aerosol can. It's just a very simple plain button like you've probably got a couple dozen of them in your home. There where you live, whether it's uh, your right guard or your bathroom spray or the spam, the pam that, that stuff you spray, the lady spray in the kitchen, that spray that I see you use, whatever you call that. The, all these sprays, WD-40, all these places that have to have a little button to make that aerosol can function. I read years ago, I wished I'd kept the article, I didn't, I wished I had. The man that was a researcher in a laboratory, heard about a problem that the manufacturers were having. The manufacturers knew how to take a can and compress it with the the vapor inside and put their product in it, and they were able to get it to come out of the can, but only in a squirt. They were not able to devise a way to get it to come out in a spray, in a vapor type of spray. They were able to put things in cans to produce things, but it was coming out squirt, squirt, squirt. It was not working right. Some things are all right to be squirted, but you don't want a squirt of a right guard, for example. <laughs> you know, there's some things you'd rather have in a spray. So they were having a problem with this. This researcher says, I think I can do something about that. So he sat down and he studied it and he worked on it. And he had trial after trial. He developed the patent for the product that he developed. He put a patent on it so he could get royalties off of it. And he developed the, the system of the stem that goes on in the bottom of the can, comes up, comes up inside that button, and the inside the button has to be formed in just a certain way to put that out in a spray instead of a squirt. But he put a patent on it. And I said to myself when I first read that story that, well, he's not going to make much money off of that patent because it said in the story that for him to make one penny, seven of those have to be manufactured somewhere. Seven of him for, of those to have to be made for him to make one penny. Seven of these for him to make one penny. And yet, within a year, he was a millionaire. Within a year, he was a millionaire. Three years later, he had more money than he could spend for the rest of his life. And he was not even 40 yet. He wasn't even 40 yet. Three years later, he had millions and millions. And it kept rolling in, kept rolling in because one penny for... A, Every seven of these that was manufactured in factories around the world, not just in the States, for people to use on their cans in all these different countries, all had to pay him one penny for every time they stamped seven of these out of the machine somewhere. You see, you would think that, well, one of those is only one-seventh of a penny. That's not worth much. And you'll think that, well, just one dollar in a church like this, two dollars in a church like this, what's that going to do for missions? We don't see sometimes how things add up. 
and how God can take things and bless them and use them and, and bring them to fruition in a tremendous way. So we, we don't try to calculate and figure. That's where the word faith comes back. We don't try to calculate. You don't sit down with your, your paycheck or your bank account and try to figure out what God wants me to do. It's all done in prayer. It's all done in prayer. As we go to God and we say, Father, what do you want me to do? What is the figure that you want to put in my heart? You see that associate pastor Tim, he and his wife calculated the first figure. They prayed about it, but they put the first figure down. But the second time they put that second figure down, just a few weeks later, it wasn't done by calculation. It was done all by faith that time. And said, look at what God did. We put that money in. We can't tell a, a world of difference, no difference whatsoever in our standard of living. It's exactly the same. We're doing just as well, if not better than ever before. So they just doubled it. Because you see, that was done by faith. That was done by trusting God. That's by, that was done by saying, God, look what you did. Do it again. Keep doing it. Look what you did to bless us and help us in this way. Well, keep doing it like that. We, we love it this way. It's so much better than just uh, rattling it off of, in a budget. I think there was a preacher down in Georgia one time that said, when you put missions in a budget, you're putting a cap on it. You're putting a cap on it. But when you do it by faith, your faith promise giving is capable of doing anything that God can do. Anything that God can do. When you do it by faith, we make God seem to be awful small sometimes, don't we? Because we won't trust him except to the limit of those things that we feel are already within our reach. I can reach that. I can handle that. I can trust him for that because I can just about do that by myself, you know. That's, we don't say that in so many words, but we don't trust God for the big things. And it might be that that figure that you have on your heart that God gives you might seem hugely big to you, but it's nothing to God. Nothing to God. And he can bless and work. And you'll find that the blessings that come into your heart and life far outweigh the, the, the question that you had at the beginning. Will far outweigh anything you ever had. When the blessings begin to come rolling in, how can you put a price tag on them? How can you put a figure of value upon the blessings that God will shower upon you like he tells us in Malachi? To trust me and see if I can't just open the windows of heaven and bless you beyond anything you've ever seen or dreamed of before. Faith, promise giving. Faith doesn't scare us. And the plan doesn't scare us. And certainly the word promise should not. We're not promising to give a certain amount of dollars a week. We're just promising that, if God, if you give it to me, I promise to do with it what you told me to do. Now, isn't that a pretty simple promise? I mean, how can anybody not want to make a promise like that? That, Heavenly Father, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do my best to do it just the way you tell me. That's the way we should be in every part of our life, not just in faith promise missions. That's the way we should be with everything in your life and mine. That Heavenly Father, whatever you tell me to do, that's what I want to do. I've often said that when it comes to an invitation in a church for an invitation time, an invitation time when you have an altar call is basically no more than three things. When you come to the altar and you say, Heavenly Father, you spoke to me tonight and I heard what you had to say. And I accept it wholeheartedly. That is a, a simplified, an altar call, but as effective an altar call as I know how to ever present in my life and ministry and for myself. When I've gone to the altar myself many times, all I could say was, Heavenly Father, you spoke to me tonight. I heard what you had to say. 
And I accept it wholeheartedly. You know, the simpler it is, the harder it is to make it complicated and to make a mess out of it. And you keep it simple. And God does that for us because we know, he knows we need it to be that way. So in this faith promise plan, don't complicate it. Don't make it complicated. Don't mess it up. Just simply realize that if God puts a figure on your heart, all you have to do is say, Heavenly Father, the figure that you give me, as long as that money is there, I promise not to divert it, not to keep it for myself. That's the only promise I have to make. I don't have to promise to put it in. I only have to promise to put it in if you get, give it to me. I don't think we have to worry about God failing you. I don't think we have to worry about God failing me or us collectively. God is not going to fail us. And so if you go to God in that way and say, Heavenly Father, you know, this is for one year. This is for one year at the end of this year when these things are renewed. I haven't seen anybody yet. I honestly can say I've not seen anybody yet come back and say, man, I wish I hadn't done that. I haven't seen anybody yet come back and say, oh, I wish I hadn't gotten into that faith promise stuff. That about killed me this year. I haven't seen anybody do that yet. But I've had them time after time come back and say, my, what a year this has been. What a blessing. And uh, talk about the goodness. And the... I've seen testimony times in missions conferences where people just stood and testified of how God blessed our home as we got into missions for the first time this way. And they gave testimonies of the tremendous blessings in their home and family as God blessed them through missions in this way. So for the invitation each evening when I'm here, I'll bring this up to the time of invitation, but this is your pastor's church as far as in, in the human way of speaking. I always like the pastor to be able to take the invitation the way he sees fit, to come, Brother Henry, if you will, for the invitation time at this time in whatever way you want and the way the Lord leads you is fine with me, and to take the invitation time if you will. Thank you, Pastor.